0: Hey there, good people on CryptoLand. I'm Matt Lysing, and this is my podcast, Decent People. Welcome back to the conversation. Today on the show, I spoke with Justin Hochberg. He is the CEO of Virtual Brand Group. Uh, This is a firm we've been covering at Decentral for a while now. They are basically kind of shepherding in mainstream corporations into the metaverse, into the Web3 space, and um, also advising them on strategies for games like Roblox, uh, which is centralized but has you know hundreds of millions of, of players. So we uh, he joined the show to talk about hand, how brands are approaching the marketing opportunities here. Uh, there's $600 million spent in digital worlds every month. So companies like Forever 21 and NBC are planting a firm foothold to reach those consumers. So Justin uh, is on the show, and we're talking about how They are going to be uh, offering some new uh, products and and new experiences in the Web3 world. So thanks for being here and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Justin. How are you doing today?
1: Matt, I am fantastic. It is sunny, even in the real world and the metaverse, I think.
0: Does the sun ever set in the metaverse?
1: I guess if you decide to set it, you know, you get to play Bruce Almighty or whatever that is, you know,
0: set your own conditions. I think there's also a setting in Minecraft that you can make where, uh, you don't ever let the sunset, uh, so that night doesn't come and the monsters don't come out. Um, but, uh, I go. might be, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure about that one. Um, are you in Los Angeles?
1: I am in the great state of California. Um, yeah. sunny Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. Um, great. We just got through some rain, but yeah, the sun is out and, uh, it's a great day to talk to you. Um, so you are the CEO of virtual brand group. Um, And in a nutshell, what you guys are doing uh, is you're helping companies um, like Forever 21 and Barbie uh, craft and execute uh, marketing strategies, right? In the metaverse, in in a a Web3 environment. Um, Did I get that right? And and maybe you could add to that just so listeners get a sense of um, kind of where you're coming from.
1: Of course you got it right. What don't you get right, Matt? Um, So, yes, I mean... That's, that is what we do, but we also think about it as a holistic strategy. So I would describe it um, like this, is we bridge the gap between brands or intellectual property and this new opportunity, which you could define as Web3, the metaverse, however you want to shape it. And that encompasses a couple of things. One is we create strategies to help brands think about how to use 3D or virtual experiences. Two, we execute on those strategies. And three, and this is really important, we connect the virtual experiences and activations with your physical activations. So if you are a retailer like Forever 21 and you have e or stores, how does that sync up with what we're doing so that these aren't separate lanes, but is part of a larger sort of omni-channel retailing experience?
0: So basically what you're doing in the virtual world, maybe you're buying a skin or a hat or something like that. You can replicate that in the real world and have that beanie or that t-shirt that, that your avatar has um, when you're going through Land, for example.
1: Yeah. So one of the programs that we are reasonably well known for is exactly that. It's the beanie program, which in short was the proposition when we launched Forever 21 on Roblox about two years ago was, well... Every item has a different market. So what sells in China may not sell in Los Angeles, may not sell in London. Different weather, different consumer patterns, et cetera. Same with the metaverse. And so the question was, what should we be selling as virtual goods? Should we be selling replicas of the physical items sold in stores? Or should we be thinking about what might cater to that market under the same brand DNA? And we ran a test to see which would sell better. And what we found was, Some of the items for Forever 21 sold great, and some of them were better sold when there were new items that were catering towards immediate Roblox trends because that is a whole marketplace onto its own. One of those items was a black beanie, a knit cap that said forever, that we designed, a virtual brand group did. And we proposed that to Forever 21 and their great insight was to let us adapt to the marketplace. We developed this item. It didn't even say Forever 21, it said forever. So it both was branded partially, but also aspirational, the word like forever, caught fire, and it became so successful on the platform of Roblox that I approached the CMO, um, Jacob Parkins, who's awesome, and uh, we came up with a program to take that best-selling item on Roblox and manufacture real items in the stores and on their e-commerce. And not only did they manufacture the same item we sold, but they extended the line to be multiple colorways, t-shirts, sweatshirts, pants, et cetera. That not only was the first time it was ever done, it was the first time it was ever done on Roblox. And last December, Christina Wooten, who runs the partnership team, got up at Roblox's Investor Day and highlighted that as the future of commerce. And that was a year later. So it is a Great program that many brands are starting to copy. Like Fenty is coming out with a product that they based on our program, etc.
0: And and it strikes me, it's such a great sandbox, not to use another virtual world, you know, but what a great way to test if people want a product, if there's demand for it, right? It doesn't really cost too much to put out a virtual version of something. And if it takes off, then hey... You've already got a kind of built-in market that you could sell to in the real world. If it doesn't take off, there isn't too much lost. Um.
1: That's absolutely right. So one of the things we strongly believe in is you have to use every medium for its own strengths. You shouldn't try and Mm -hmm. shoehorn and make it something else. So in a world of, it takes me the same amount of time to design a race car as it does a t-shirt in Roblox, we also can offer not only innovation from, say, Forever 21 to try new styles, but we can take a brand like The Voice, which we work with on a global basis, which the show, as you probably know, airs in the US on NBC. It also airs in 179 other countries, making it the most widely distributed TV show in the world. They are a singing competition, but We believe that music is a lot about a lot of different pop culture things. One of them is fashion. In particular, when you think about the coaches like Kelly Clarkson or Gwen Stefani or John Legend, they're all very stylish people. Music and fashion goes really hand in hand. So we extended that product from music to an entire fashion line, both on Roblox, on Decentraland, and on Ready Player Me's avatar shop.
0: Yeah, and we have a little news to break here, right? You guys are getting ready for uh, something. Can you tell us a little bit That's about
1: that? That's right. Uh, bl- uh, the lower third needs to say breaking news, like a not, you know, you <laughs> uh, <evening laughs> scroll. That's called the scroll. Uh, thank you yeah. for that tee-up, Matt. <laughs> yes, um, this week we are actually launching the first ever voice collection of merchandise, our new fashion extension on the Ready Player Me avatar shop, which is a brand new program that they created at the end of last year. And it'll be existing in a game-ified experience in what is called HyperWorld, which is their single most popular experience within the Ready Player Me avatar network. Um, I don't, For those of you who don't know, the great thing about Ready Player Me is that it is one avatar, one set of clothing that works across 10,000 different games on a worldwide basis. Mm. So if you're buy something at Fortnite, it doesn't work in Roblox, and vice versa, their proposition is cross-platform interoperability, which is kind of the way we live life in real world, right? You don't yeah. buy Nikes and then only wear it at one stadium. You buy them and wear them everywhere. And so we're very excited because 10,000 different games is huge. It reaches 50 million players per day. In context, Nike has 1,000 stores, we conceptually have now 10,000 stores. So that's a big step towards making the brand an omni-channel
0: retailer. Yeah, those numbers make a lot of sense. Um, but are you finding, how are you finding like uh, this being received by some place like Roblox, which, you know, they've built this amazing world. And I think understandably, they would sort of want to keep it like their walled garden, right? Where you've got your, your Robux and you sort of need to be, inhabiting that world to uh, enjoy all the things uh, that it offers, are they open to like opening the gates basically and saying, you can, you could leave with that, like that skin, or you can bring in a weapon or something from somewhere else. How are you finding that um, being received right now?
1: So I think there's a natural orientation of a platform to want to figure out how do they create switching costs, therefore keeping you in there. So Whether you're Facebook, right? If you post on Facebook, you can't take that same post and just migrate it to Twitter. You can take it from Facebook and take it to WhatsApp because they own WhatsApp and Instagram, right? So they're trying to keep you. Everybody naturally wants to keep you in their system. Mm -hmm. So I believe most companies will try and do that. I think there's a difference though between being a completely walled off garden and then a a, a a platform that enables them to take a piece of a larger transaction. So. An example of the latter is like the Apple Store, right? They are a fixed garden. You have to play by their rules in terms of use. But when you put it up there, you then leads you to buying an Amazon subscription or using an app of some sort. And so they take a percent. And so if you look at what Roblox development path looks like, it's to maintain a level of control, but also offer in-game commerce. So I believe by next year, you can envision the equivalent of going in, uh, playing a pizza game on Roblox and then clicking, making a pizza, clicking, do you want that pizza delivered to you from DoorDash or M or, or Pizza Hut or whatever the service is, and it really showing up and like sort of a Shopify experience, they, then the platform Roblox taking a percent.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That's fascinating. I, I was, uh, Writing about this a little bit last year um, before the NFT bubble sort of collapsed, um, and I learned about these things called ghost kitchens that, that are all uh-huh, around sure. the country where you can actually, there's a cheeseburger, like these guys were making cheeseburgers and they wanted you to be able to go into the metaverse and order on in, in the metaverse and then have it delivered to your house. Um but before we go forward, I, I would love to just hear a little bit more about Roblox from you because that that thing is such a juggernaut. Um, mm-hmm. My eleven year old plays it all the time, and can you just give people a sense of like the, some of the numbers and, and some of the? Uh, I, I don't know if it's loyalty, but it just seems like a very sticky environment um, for for kids and, and how they're interacting and uh, you know they're meeting their friends on there and they're playing games. But I, I would love to just hear like. maybe for some older listeners, they might not know what is going on with this thing called Roblox.
1: Well, I think that's a great jumping off point. In fact, you know, what I would say is, let me just frame the opportunity here as like why someone should even bother caring about the metaverse. And let me say, you shouldn't care about it, but you should care about the data I'm about to give you because if you're a marketer or you're someone who has a product that wants to get in front of consumers, it's very compelling. So let's just work from math, which is, you know, forgetting what the technology behind it is. So my thesis is that the great equalizer of every human being is time. We all have the set amount of time, no matter who you are. And so money rises and falls with age, with your allowance, with your promotion or not. Time is constant no matter what. And so the first statistic I want to drop on you is, you know, that the average consumer spends about 40 some odd hours a month on TikTok, which is considered sort of the gold standard of engagement these days, right? Mm -hmm. Um, On YouTube, it's about 20 some odd hours, and then you get down to Instagram, it's 10 to 12 hours, whatever that is. When you add that up, you're somewhere in the 70 range per month as that basket of engagement. And so if you're a marketer trying to get in front of people, you might use any of those or all of those channels. Roblox, as an example, has the average user count of about 78 hours per month, right? So all three of those combined is equal to or slightly less than Roblox, okay? So that's very powerful from my perspective. Um, the scale of the opportunity, whether it's on Roblox, is there's about 215 million people per month, about 70 million people per day. Um, about 40% of that is uh, 17 or above. So 40% of that okay. is 17 So 60% percent
0: is, is younger.
1: Yeah, 60% is yeah. younger. So um, depending on what age demographic you want. And by the way, I would also say that over the last three years, that number percent that is over 17 is rising dramatically faster because every platform knows that, A, they can't let people age out of the platform. So they've adapted the tools, the technology, the look, the feel, the brands is a big part of that to do that. And B, they know that people with 17 and above are also the most coveted demo that also have their own independent credit cards, et cetera, that aren't parent driven. So that's a major priority. If you flip over to another platform like Fortnite, which people know for its shooter, first-person shooter games, which now allows you to create your own experiences, I think 62% in the last quarter was 18 to 24. So the Mm -hmm. majority of their players, and they have several hundred million. If you think about Minecraft, which is still around with hundreds of millions. So what we look at as a global audience is there are about 600 million people per month spending money on these virtual platforms. Yeah. Just for context... Don Roblox also is another piece of data. If you think about this being an election year in the United States, um, if you flash back to 2008 when uh, Obama was running, one of his great innovations was to take the risk to use Facebook as a marketing and outreach platform. We have a new election this year. If you think about Facebook back then was at about 100 million users. Today, Roblox is 2x that or more. So yeah. that's just the beginning of the story.
0: Yeah that's that's amazing 600 million um huge number now growing up did you think you would be sitting here talking to me about virtual worlds uh, how, how did you how did you come about to to start like virtual brand group and and what was what was a bit of your journey um into not only marketing but then putting, you know, I I don't think a lot of people, I think you're ahead of the curve here on realizing the marketing opportunity that that these decentralized worlds presents. Like, and when, how did you discover it? And when, when was your light bulb moment? Yeah.
1: Well, um, I will say this is the thing that got me into this exact moment. And then I'll back up to how it led to the bigger picture was during the pandemic, um, I observed my then nine and 12 year old son and daughter when we flipped from having a very vibrant social life they were in, you know, third and sixth grade to being isolated completely. They defaulted for looking for a way to create a new connection and they were on Zoom for like six to eight hours a day for school. And then they'd immediately go to play Fortnite and Roblox, which I knew of because my credit cards were being racked up with money. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't really spend any time investing it because it wasn't that big of a deal. Now, I want to say for anybody who's a parent out there, let me throw this down as the gauntlet. Prior to the pandemic, we were a no-screen family from Monday to the weekend, which is really hard if you have kids.
0: I can't even, I can't even contemplate that. Right.
1: So when the pandemic hit, and there was like all screen all day, and then on top of screen was more screen, we were like, no way. So I couldn't get them off of those things. So in the spirit of, if you can't beat them, join them, I started playing Fortnite with my son, Roblox with my daughter. And what I realized was, unlike me, who grew up with Atari and video games and stealing quarters from my dad's pocket or my mom's purse and running off to the arcade, these were very social games and they were open world games where Mm -hmm. there wasn't a beginning, middle and end. You didn't end when you got to level X or you shot a number of Y people that you could play infinite amount of time and you were there to make friends play. You could customize things. You could build all for free if you wanted to. And that's when I realized that there were two things that existed and one thing that didn't, which is exactly what I look for in a new market. What existed was scale which was hundreds of millions of people playing for large amounts of time. The second thing that existed was a actual built-in economy. You could charge people as an experience for upgrades or cool new merchandise or whatever it was, and I didn't need permission from the platform. I could just do it. Those are the two things that did exist, Mm. right? Scale and an existing infrastructure. The thing that didn't exist was brands. At that time, there were zero brands in Roblox. I have worked in and around brands and innovative ways to connect brands to consumers for over two decades. I immediately said, this will eventually have brands without even talking to Roblox and understanding the roadmap. Because where there is a marketplace, there's always global brands that want to be there. Whether that be Comic-Con or Sundance or Facebook, it was inevitable. Mm -hmm. now i had to explain that to people because they were like why would you ever want to put a brand there there are none i'm like that's exactly why you want to be a brand there because there are none and you can be the first and we put the third brand ever on roblox
0: yeah is there is it important to have a blockchain element here or how do you think about the underlying technology just just for a second to talk about that um because as we said before roblox is its own sort of centralized you know the company they have their in-game currency called robux um yeah obviously one of the huge innovations of crypto is is that you now have a computing system that has a native currency built into it like ether with ethereum um yep. are are people are you, are brands getting scared off by that do you have to hold their hand or where do you think the line is or or the happy medium right now for using this new technology um, in, in terms of, you know, what we're talking about with brands and and uh, getting access to people who are, um, you know, in the metaverse already?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think,
0: listen, there's, there's a sort of a bell curve
1: of adoption amongst conglomerates, right? Whatever the brand is, there's people on the left side that are, you know, never or very slow adopters. There's people on the right side that are early or fast adopters and there's the majority that's in the bell in the middle. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is that the... the Things that are challenging for brands is one, um, I think that the technology, a lot of the propositions being led by people are technologically led as opposed to like brand or consumer friendly led. And so even some of the terminology is not very accessible to things, Um, you know, proof of attendance or, you know, blockchain or, you know, different platforms to be on, you know, different currencies to use, different, you know, NFTs to use, how does that all like different wallets? That makes it hard for the average consumer and the average person in the organization to access. Mm-hmm. Um, second is obviously there was a challenging, there was a lot of excitement, and then there was a lot of sort of disenchantment as things move from 2021 to 2023. Um, so that's been challenging. I think where we are today is brands will go where there is a market and there is a value proposition that doesn't exist through something else, right? So. Right now, there is a market at Roblox, and it's big at scale, and it's proven with approximately 250 brands now to be accessible, right? You have the NFL, you have NASCAR, you have Gucci, you have Forever 21, you have Barbie, whatever it is. Um, Blockchain will ultimately be, I believe, most significant because of its own, because it's not owned by a single corporation like a Roblox or like an Epic. Um, And it empowers people to do a lot more things that they can own, I just think that it's a slower adoption rate because people are generally risk adverse and they'd like to start where things are easier for them, whether that's back in the day with AOL and their walled garden or Roblox and their walled garden.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, very interesting. Um, and as you've said to us before, we've, we've covered you guys a couple of times um, on the yes, website. Thank you. You're um, very kind. You said um, you need to delight the consumer, right? Yes. That's a, and I, I'm not sure. The UX is is exactly there yet right now. Um, yes, I've I've been on Decentraland for years and it, it, it's getting better, but it is it's still a little bit a little bit clunky, a little bit staticky. Um, I guess with that in mind, like how do you? I wanted to ask you about the health of the metaverse in your opinion right now and, and where things stand and, and where you think things are going.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we talk to corporations across the board, big and small. I mean, you know, whether it's Comments like Metal or NBC, or you know, we're working with one of JoJo Siwa, who's famous for being on uh, a performer and uh, multi-hyphenate. Um, she's got a new band called XOMG Pop. Um, it was a band founded on E, and then uh, went on AGT and did very well. And they have a Live Nation tour. So it's like a range of different types of uh, bra- uh, brands and, and consu- their consumers. And what we're finding is people are starting to view this as a big part of their marketing mix, right? Whatever the, whatever we're talking about, whether it's Roblox or Fortnite or, you know, some of these other things, this is now becoming commonplace. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, I saw just the other day, the launch of Hilton honors program with, um, Paris Hilton, where it's all virtual and there's a, you play the game in Roblox And you then can earn Hilton Rewards Point to their elite level. Um, And they did an entire ad in animated Roblox characters, you know, like CGI. So my sense is you're going to see this year, and we should make a date for 2025 at the same time, that you will see over this year, this becoming mainstream to almost must-have tool in the marketing mix for every brand, no matter what the category
0: How was, um, so NBC seems to be an early mover here. They, they created their NBC metaverse, um, fan zone. Um, and and as you mentioned, they own the voice. Tell me about that. Was, did, how did that partnership come about? Were were, were they excited and came to you or did you reach out to them or like, what was the, um, you know, what was the genesis of that?
1: Yeah. So NBC has been an exceptional partner because there's not a lot of broadcasters on a global basis that are really embracing this in the same way. Um, and it's really productive for them because they don't have as deep of a direct connection that say other b- brands might be like a retailer who you physically meet and capture credit card information, as opposed to a TV viewer who is sitting behind a TV screen that you never actually know. So the voice has a really great relationship. ITV is the owner of the voice on a global basis. They own the product worldwide and, um, through ITV, we went to NBC you know, a year and a half ago when we first started working with The Voice and presented the idea of creating the decentralized Fan Zone. We then demonstrated a proof of concept with some really great new ad products that delivered 13 times the click-through rate that you might get on Facebook. Off that success, we then created the first ever virtual fashion line based on what the celebrity coaches give out on the show. If you watch the show, you see that if you're on Blake's team or Gwen's team or whoever's team, They give you a piece, an item that you uniquely get for being on the show. We created that. Off of that, we created a Roblox pop-up store this past December in coordination with the finale where you could go try on merchandise only on Roblox. It was an exclusive collection. um, And it was themed for each one of this past season's celebrity coaches. So Reba, John, Niall Horan, and uh, Gwen Stefani. Um, And so we've continued to stretch and build that relationship, demonstrating new products, new reach, new marketing prowess. And they've been incredibly great partners.
0: Um, with that in mind, can you tell us any more about the the, the voice products launch that you guys are? What, what kind of products are, can we expect from that?
1: So um, the first collection on Ready Player Me that will launch with HyperWorld is five bespoke items that we created. Um, one of them is uh, a... Um, sort of streetwear. It's like a hypewear collection overall, right? And one of them is uh, this awesome puffer jacket um, and cargo pants and neon, you know, Nike-esque trainers um, and a a cool t-shirt that has the show slogan on it. Um, uh, The other ones are like t-shirts and sweatshirts that are like super cool hoodies, like you might get at um, places like Mad Happy, if you know, uh, sort of Street Hype, or uh, Stussy, um, or any of those type of great, or, um, you know, Ape, or any of those places. So it's like a super hype gear streetwear collection.
0: Okay. Um, and you guys also, you are um, The Voice held auditions in the metaverse for the first time recently, last yeah, year. What I think, one right? of
1: the features we enabled through the Decentraland activation was the ability to submit your, you know, to sort of submit your application and, and be on Considered for the show. Um, yeah. And so, you know, in the spirit of trial and error, we are constantly looking for new ways to demonstrate value to, to brands and consumers that they can't achieve given the current things. Um, I guess what I would say is I have a long history with NBC. I actually created the branded integration business for the TV show The Apprentice um, many moons ago. That is a creative statement and a business statement, not a political statement.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if, if anybody um, ever came out of that show um, that, that people might know.
1: Maybe one or two people that you might know. <laughs> so, so you know, uh, again, I have operated at the intersection of brands, content, um, and Um, new business models for a very long time, whether it was my time at Microsoft, whether it was my time working with The Apprentice TV show created by Mark Burnett. Um, And so this metaverse opportunity is very much similar to that in as much as it is a new product, a new market that combines storytelling, brand, and, you know, sort of consumer facing technology and, and monetization.
0: Yeah. You alluded to it before, but um, obviously we're coming out of a couple of tough years in crypto in general. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of um, implosions in 2022, um, they're still kind of reverberating now, um, FTX and, and all the other stuff. Yep. Did, did that scare brands away? Did, ha, ha, when you talk to them and you're trying to get somebody new to come into this market, are they worried about that, about the reputational risk? Are they worried about some of the maybe... The volatility that you could see, um, how do they, how are they approaching that kind of part of the industry?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, no nascent market that has very public disgraces thrives from that. It's always sort of a concern. I mean, yeah. especially if you think about FTX, it wasn't just that, I mean, there are a lot of people who didn't know a thing about crypto that saw a public face like FTX collapse and why that resonated probably more. Then other things is if you think about last year's Super Bowl, which is you know right you know imminent. Yeah, uh, um, there was a big FTX ad, and there was a lot of celebrity in that, and yeah. you know that you had very public faces representing that, and then boom, it collapsed, and they uh, many of them got sued. So you know that hurts dramatically. Um, you know, so I think the key here is
0: does that kind like of black World eye? Box, d- yeah, does that kind of black eye like make uh, other brands, you know, leery of, of getting no, for involved. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I
1: think they're already leery because, you know, there. you know, I think people really like the idea that there is somebody responsible at the other end of the phone for anything. You know, if you can't find, you know, if you, if you need help with your plane reservation, you can call the airline, right. Um, who do you call when it's a blockchain related issue? You don't. Right. Mm. Um, and although that makes it great because you're empowered to own it yourself, it's still scary. Um, but the internet was kind of like that too, right? Nobody mm-hmm. owns it. You could do whatever you wanted. It was simply just an infrastructure play and people embraced it to figure out how to create on top of it. And I think once people start doing that in a very user-friendly way, the way Amazon did or any of those early you know, 1990 products that still exist, I think you'll have mass adoption.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um I was just having a conversation with somebody uh, along those lines when the Bitcoin ETFs that have been approved now. Yeah. There's a question about well th- there need to be disclosures if material events are going to happen, but nobody runs Bitcoin, you know. There's no right. CEO. So who's going to so, disclose? Yeah, who's going who's going to take on that responsibility and what types of things need to be disclosed like there's a halving coming up when, you know, the reward for Bitcoin miners is going to go down by half and that's probably something people should know about who are investing in this market. But again, there's nobody um, at the helm. So it's a, it's one of the more fascinating and, and tricky uh, questions in, in all of crypto. Um, but, but that being said, um, do you think we're still early here? And, and um, I, I know you've been, you know, a lot of things are you're saying next year, um, where, where would you kind of put the roadmap now for, for where, uh, all of this, uh, is eventually going to, to, end up in your opinion?
1: Well, listen, I think the challenge you asked Matt is I've always said being early is the same as being wrong. Right. Um, and I learned that when I was at Microsoft working on interactive TV, uh, with the founders of web TV and, you know, my perception was it was such a great product idea, the idea for digital video recorders and electronic program guides and shoppable commerce and video on demand, that it had to happen. And yet, m- decades later, less than half of those features and functionality that we demoed in the early 2000s are now available. And so, what I can tell you is what I see right now happening, right? Which is more brands adopting this, these platforms, much like they adopted the commercial internet. Two and a half decades ago, um, more creators being empowered, much like at the onset of YouTube, Instagram, et cetera, for those creation platforms, and a new product class is being created, and so that uh, I see happening. The other thing I'm very enthusiastic about is the when I go to conferences, whatever they are, whether it's uh, CES in Vegas, which happened just in January, which is a big one, or South by Southwest, or any of these other places. Um, the language, the people who are attending are starting to move from solely technological to marketing, brand, consumer facing. So mm-hmm. that is getting into the DNA of those people. Um, and that's very encouraging because it, when they adopt it, it moves from a technology to a solution that someone can actually use.
0: Yeah. And at that point, you don't necessarily want to know about the technology empowering it. Right? Nobody
1: wants to go with technology. I don't even want to know about the technology. I mean, yeah. I don't think, the consumer definitely doesn't. I mean, let's just take this podcast. We are using the internet and nobody has to know how that works. I just, you know, this is as easy as a phone call.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in some industries, especially I'm thinking of music, um, you know, NFT is a bad word. I think musicians... NFT um, is
1: generally associated with things that were very unpredictable.
0: Yeah. Or just, it's a cash grab or, you know, it's somebody who isn't serious about their art or whatever they're doing. Um, you know, it's just monkey JPEGs, right. And, and musicians. Um, so a lot of, a lot of what's going on there in music is, you know, it's, it's called on chain music where they're just using Mm -hmm. slightly different, uh, terminology. Um, do you, what about music? Are you, I know you're, um, you're very kind of product oriented and, uh, with, with, with certain things, but are you also, uh, do you think there's a future for, for how music can, can adopt some of this um, new technology?
1: Yeah, well, look, I think that music is a great place for this technology to be leveraged because music is one, of the three, is one of the three probably most prominent culture or pop culture drivers, right? So it's music, fashion, and sports are probably the dominant things that drive our dialogue around what's hip, interesting, happening now on a global basis. Um, I also think the music industry is very, uh, is somewhat disaggregated in as much as you have labels, then you have performers, and then you have all these fans um, who are not necessarily connected, right? It's, it's not even like a retailer again. It's like sort of the TV model we talked about earlier with the voice. Um, And it's a, it's a purely digital product from its onset, right? So that those are great conditions. So some people doing some really interesting stuff are like the reinvention of Napster, uh, under my friend John V. Um, is They're making a play for it. Um, I think music is a tremendous place where you're going to see a lot of innovation probably also outside of the traditional labels. Um, mm. Even if the labels are doing stuff, I think you're going to see a lot of things outside of it because you know, performers can own these abilities, they can create fan clubs, they can distribute digital music, they can, I mean, there's a lot of things that are empowered. And I think whoever creates an easy access platform, which is what Napster is doing, where you don't have to think about it as an individual, you can just sort of, it's like YouTube for music, in terms of you just show up and use it, tools, technology, monetization, that will be very successful.
0: Yeah, it, it's also we write about it a lot here at Essential, and I've been just shocked to learn how bad it is in terms of if you're a musician, the the amount of um, you just you don't have access to your fans, you don't have access to data about your fans when you go and you tour and a concert and uh, you know live shows. That there will be uh, a middleman there who keeps those um, lists of who bought tickets to your shows and, and won't share them with you because if they did, you might then as a band start directly, you know, interacting yep. with your fans and you cut them out of the process. So, but I mean, hell that's, that's almost exactly what, you know, blockchain and web three is all about is like getting rid of those middlemen sure. that are just sitting there and, and earning a rent. Um, so yeah. Can I, I give think,
1: you an example of how bad the problem is? Sure. Um, so Taylor, my daughter went to Taylor Swift last fall mm-hmm. and let's just, Forsake say say that Taylor Swift is probably one of the most prominent, powerful and savvy media entrepreneurs or entrepreneur in general of this generation. Right. And it moves the cultural conversation so much that her presence at NFL games has increased NFL ratings. Even the commissioner of the NFL last Christmas sent her a gift for what she's done to make the NFL reach a new audience. I'm not kidding. No, I know. So that's pretty big because the NFL has is the Mm -hmm. most powerful sports franchise in the world. Um,
0: the Chiefs sure split. seemed to be on every week, didn't they?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, of course. I mean, they I have, almost like, like, any trailer. NFL yeah, game yeah. I
0: turned on, it was the Chiefs. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So,
1: like, that's how big she is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's a scenario that actually is real. My wife bought tickets for my daughter, her, her friend, and another mother. They bought merchandise on a different website prior to the concert. They bought the materials to make the little beaded bracelets that everyone puts together that they trade at concerts. They took an Uber. They went to the venue. They bought more merch there. They bought food. They took videos and posted a variety of things through this process on social media. They then came back. We all collectively went to the Taylor Swift movie at the local cinema, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Taylor Swift does not know my daughter is a fan or that she even went to that. Because there's no trace of her. There's no trace of me ever interacting with her either. Or any, or, or the other two people that went on the same tickets. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. And that's yeah. a great opportunity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's then, what
1: blockchain can help stitch together for yeah. the first time ever.
0: And we could do a whole podcast on this. But the, another thing that shocked me um, was... Uh, oh, gosh, I'm going to forget the guy's name. But it was a really well-known artist who testified before Congress. Uh, he had on Spotify, I think one of his famous songs had more than like 65 million streams and from those streams he earned $1,700. Yeah. And you know, that's like, you're hitting the ball out of the park if you're getting 65 million streams on Spotify and you should be paid for that. And it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very broken, I think, industry. Uh, and hopefully some of this tech can, can kind of come around and, and help it, uh, help musicians, especially. Um, Okay, well, Justin, um, anything like to say lastly here about you know what you guys are doing with the voice or, or anything that you're excited about coming up um, in, in, the, in the near future here in 2024?
1: Yeah, uh, there's two topics that are interesting uh, that we may want to touch on. That first of all, one of the things I want to talk about is you know we've worked with a lot of brands, as I said, whether it's Mattel or NBC or The Voice, um, Barbie, etc. Those are all very forward thinking and really pop culture brands that connect to a youth demo, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily native 3D environment demos. So, what I'm really excited about is what we're working on with this pop band XOMG Pop created by Jojo Siwa because these are the band is made up of 11 to 14 year olds. Mm-hmm. They have been playing Roblox their entire lives. So, much like I grew up on the internet, somebody grew up on YouTube. You know, people grow up on Netflix. This they are they think of this as just the way you and I think about going on Instagram or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so we are taking that native 3D thinking and wondering how do we stitch together worlds? So here's where we envision this going. For their live nation tour, imagine the following. Instead of Roblox working over here and the tour working over here, imagine that the tour has them performing, uh, when you get there, you can, as a venue, each venue, whether it's in Memphis or Dallas or Los Angeles or New York, has a special QR code. And you can scan a QR code that takes you to a special green room where you can play a unique experience in advance of the actual show, unlock special tour merchandise, uh, win things, enter raffles, maybe even earn at that exact moment a VIP upgrade to go backstage to meet the band right there by playing Mm. in Roblox. Meanwhile, the concert, which is them performing, of course, has twins with their avatars. So the avatars are performing on all the screens throughout on various different songs. Mm. Um, And so, and meanwhile, we implemented a fan club which if you sign up for we and you post on Twitter or Facebook or whatever you like to use it tracks and offers you incentives to continue to engage that is all tied to a reward system that you can earn amazing things. So we are looking at using the XOMG pop ecosystem of music, the band, the tour, their socials to solve that Taylor Swift problem to create the world's first fully integrated experience from virtual and physical.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, so you're saying as they're performing live in one of those venues, then yeah. on Roblox, they're also performing, they're their also avatars, performing live are,
1: yeah. avatars on the screens for the people in the venue. So you're seeing these two things happen. And yeah. if you're not there, because let's face it for every amazing sporting event, 99.9% of people, no matter what it is, the NFL, Formula One, a tour are not there. So yeah. what about all those other people that you can make into fans? How do you engage them in a sustained way?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. It's just, um, it, it's one of those things where it's just, I think when this technology sort of started getting more understood, um, I think again, we just, people hadn't put the pieces together. Maybe some did of just what, Uh, all the other things that you could do with it, um, that are just now kind of coming to the fore, which I find so fascinating. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, okay. And and what was there another thing you wanted to mention? Well,
1: you know, I, I think, um, I was just at CES, as I mentioned, and everyone's really talking about how does artificial intelligence play into these places. mm -hmm. So if you thought that was interesting to your audience, we could touch on that.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, I think, uh, AI is is definitely, um, I think it, it could use, I don't know if this is where you're going to go, but what I find interesting about the intersection with AI and blockchain is, um, I think there's a lot of distrust of AI and you would need sort of um, a, a, a level of truth that could be introduced into it. So I think that's where a blockchain could have some uh, interesting effect um, there because, you know, it's usually a public database, it's verifiable and it could, yeah. so... I'm not sure where where you were going with it, but that's um, one of the the more interesting kind of intersections that I've um, been checking out.
1: Yeah, I think that's fascinating. The other thing I think is fascinating is that, um, you know, because of that trust issue, I see a lot of tools being created by platforms like Roblox or Fortnite or other people where you can, it is removing the barrier to creation So that's a very good thing, right? This is a low barrier to creation. Um, Just like today, anybody can basically click a couple buttons on a website and create your own website like Wix. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a a text-to-code creation environment is really powerful because it it allows people to um, create that don't necessarily have traditional coding skills. So that's really great. On the downside, on a practical basis, the question I have, and maybe you can weigh in on this is if one can create any product at any time digitally at almost zero cost instantaneously, is there any value in that product for the, for a consumer to buy? Or if we're all have that equal access to tools, do I just say, why would I ever spend money on, you know, virtual brand groups, products, And I can just create, look at their styles and create them myself.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting question, but it would sort of imply that there wouldn't be a market for these things on Roblox, right? Like the beanies. Well, that's what
1: I'm saying. The concern may be.
0: But I think most people will um, choose convenience over uh, inconvenience. and so if if the beanie's just right there and you can buy it and it's like what everybody else is doing, I find that you know pretty compelling and and a pretty good model of human behavior,
1: <laughs> yes. And I think the music industry would agree with you because that's exactly what Steve Jobs created when he created the iPod, right? You could go and get free music through Napster or whatever the service was. but you know, there was a lot of barriers, like it was technically illegal and some people won't do that. It was clunky because you didn't know where the files had come because it's decentralized. So when Steve Jobs said, Hey, you know, his thesis was, "Will people spend 99 cents per song for the peace of mind and convenience. And he was absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Um, I think They also benefited from CDs, you know, coming out and CDs being something that was not, you cannot travel with a CD if anyone who ever had a disc man (laughs) knows.
1: Right. Now, the only place where that diverges is today, you know, at some point, maybe not today, but at some point with artificial intelligence, if you take it to a logical extent, I just wonder whether it will be that convenient that you can just basically speak into your phone and say, create a blue t-shirt that looks like a Gucci thing and be done Mm -hmm. or or whatever the interface is that makes it really accessible like an iTunes purchase or a Netflix purchase, right? Mm -hmm. Um, My sense is giving artificial intelligence with the right user interface, it could be as easy and convenient. In fact, if I were a service provider, you know, it's sort of like the Star Trek version of a holodeck where you can say, computer, give me a coffee and out spits a coffee, right? That's what you could see happening.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and and that is that is something to think about. But again, I would go back to um, people want to be in on the latest trend, you know, and mm-hmm. and if something takes off, a, a, a certain blue T shirt takes off, then then there are a lot of people who are just going to want that blue T shirt, and the person who created it, you know, could maybe monetize it. I don't know. Um, but J- Justin, um, tell folks how they can learn more about you guys and Virtual Brand Group and, and how they can get involved if um, they're interested in, you know, in all these um, uh, cool projects that you guys are, are doing. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate
1: that. So uh, listen, for anybody who's enjoyed this conversation and wants to learn more or is thinking about how to enter the metaverse or create a new marketing campaign, you can reach us at virtualbrandgroup.com. Um, there's a, a button to click and send an email to our, um, engage, our consumer desk. Also, I'm on LinkedIn, Justin Hochberg, um, and I'm pretty active there. You can see the latest news on uh, success stories or case studies or data that you might want to consider as you think about this. Um, and if you want to schedule a, a half an hour sort of um, informational audit on sort of what your brand is and how to engage with this new platform, we're always excited to meet new people.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, Justin, thank you so much. And uh, here's to your continued success with what you guys are doing in the metaverse and beyond.
1: Well, Matt, thank you. We couldn't be successful without people like you amplifying it and sort of casting a critical eye to help us keep innovating. So much appreciated for your
0: efforts. Yeah, all right. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And make sure to subscribe and rate us at Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Decent People is a production of Decentral Media. It is produced by Curtis Fritch with music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Ives.